This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. The next thing we're going to discuss is um, Luther's rules for studying theology. Um, how Luther thought um, a theologian should approach Scripture um, and, and what makes a theologian itself. So Luther was always opposed to having his works collected into a volume where you know, people could get it. He didn't want that. He said, you might as well just burn everything I've written and give people the Bible. Um, but eventually he was talked into having a collected volume of his works. And in 1539, he went to write a preface to that collection. Um, and it was in that preface where he talked about his three rules for studying theology. Uh, and it was particularly three rules that he thought were seen um, in Psalm 119, in the way that David um, speaks to God, and the way he prays to God. Um, where my marker go? The monastic form of studying scripture was focused on three things. There's oratio, meditatio, and illuminatio. So, quick question about this preface: Is this the one that's in here? The preface to the complete edition of Luther, Luther's Latin writings, 1545. No, because it'll be the it's the it's actually the German preface that where he does this. Okay. Um, I don't know if that covers any of the same things. We'll have to look. At, can we look at that later? Yep. Okay. Um, so to translate, this is prayer. This is meditation, as you can probably tell, and this is illumination. And that was what you, what you were taught in you know in the monastery of how to study scripture. And Luther basically took over the first two with him, even though we're going to see that he kind of redefines them in a new way. Um, but he changes this one. He says, we're, the third rule for studying Scripture is not illuminatio. It is tentatio, which is the Latin translation of that word on fectum. Um, so where you were taught in the monastery that you pray, you read, and then you will be illuminated. Luther said you're going to pray, you're going to, be, you're going to read, and you're going to be thrown into a battle. You're going to be thrown into what? Uh, into a battle. You're going to be dealing with despair, with the devil attacking with you. Um, you're going to hear the voice of the law spoken to you. Um, so basically he swapped those two things because he thought when you read Scripture... That was the moment when hell broke loose. It was the moment when this apocalyptic sort of battle reality became known to you. Um, and he, like I said, he worked this out specifically in relation to Psalm 19, 119, because like a lot of people have said, Psalm 119 is, can function as a summary of the Psalms and of the Torah in itself. Um, so Luther, this is to quote Luther, he says, I will show you a right way to study theology, 
which I myself have practiced. And if you adhere to it, you too shall be so learned that if need should arise, you will be able to write books that are as good as those of the fathers. <laughs> so he really believed um, in the necessity and the rightness of these three rules. Um, I haven't yet written a book as good as the fathers, but <laughs> just got to keep pressing on. Have you um, written any books yet? I've got one coming out. All right. Yeah. So that might be the only one I ever do, though. <laughs> Which is what is going to be on? Sorry, it, I'm indulging. No, yeah, the, the title is uh, God and Grace in Philo and Paul. So it's a version of my PhD dissertation. Mm -hmm. um, these were the rules, but this is what Luther thought it meant to be a Christian. It is someone who always goes into the Holy Scripture because you are thrown into despair by um, the world around you, by what is happening in your own life. You have this sense of spiritual attack. Um, that's why you go to the text. You pray to God that he would show you um, his word by the Holy Spirit, and that in the end, you do hope for illumination. Um, it's important to remember that these are not isolated rules or steps that you follow. It's not like you pray, and then you meditate, and then you <laughs> experience tentatio. These are realities that exist together and can't be pulled apart as such. Uh, and we're just going to go through each one of these um, as we go. And if something's not clear, just let me know. Um, we'll start with oratio, which is something that he took over from the monastics, but he put his own sort of special Lutheran twist on it, um, saying that you approach the text with prayer, but it's not sort of pious prayer of the righteous person who um, just wants to have his knowledge confirmed, but it's the prayer of someone um, who is desperate to understand this text that seems so foolish to human reason. And this text that seems to say all these things that don't make sense, that couldn't be true. Um, so, you know, David all the time in this psalm is saying, teach me, instruct me, guide me, lead me. And that is sort of this sense of oratio, is that um, Scripture is unique in what it claims to teach. It claims to tell you the truth about God and the truth about eternal life. And Luther says we will never understand this unless we are humbled before God seeking the Holy Spirit to come to us. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a little section the way Luther describes each one of these so we can get the words from the man himself. Luther says, First, you must know that the Holy Scriptures is a book that makes foolishness of the wisdom of all other books because none of them teaches eternal life, only this one alone. Therefore you must straightway despair of your own mind and reason, for you will not attain it by these. On the contrary, with such presumption you will cast yourself and others with you from heaven into the abyss of hell. Rather kneel down in your closet and pray to God in true humility and earnestness, that through his dead son he may grant you his Holy Spirit to enlighten, guide, and give you understanding. It says, you see how David in the above-mentioned psalm prays again and again. Even though he knew well the text of Moses and other books and heard and read them daily, he still desires the real master of the scriptures himself 
in order that he may not tackle them with his reason and make himself the master. For this produces those sectarians who allow themselves to think that the scriptures are subject to them and easily mastered with their own reason, as if they were the fables of Aesop, which require neither the Holy Spirit nor prayer. So, in other words, Holy Scripture is a different kind of thing from every, everything else that we read. Um, this kind of gets into the distinction between internal and external clarity that we will um, talk about when we get to the bondage of the will. What he's saying here, though, is you can't read and make sense of these texts fully without that internal clarity that is given to you by the Spirit. Otherwise, it's just, um, it's just going to be foolishness. You could have the whole thing memorized. You can know the basic contents of the whole thing. It's not going to help you out unless the Holy Spirit there isn't to enliven and illuminate and guide you in that. So, um, and the reason why we were—I think we were kind of getting to this earlier, even at lunch. Um, the reason this is important is because, as Christians, we are people who are addressed by God. Um, you know, Oswald Byer says, "When you are asked who who are you, the response is, I am the one to whom it is said, I am the Lord your God.'" That is the relationship we exist in. We, if we hear this thing spoken to us, and we exist in relationship to God. So we have to humble ourselves before God and trust that He will give us what we need as we move into the study of Scripture. Um, does that make sense so far? Yeah, you're talking about the first one, or Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, basically, our, our prayer, in this sense, is focused on this triune God who communicates himself to us. And as, as Luther says, we can have knowledge of these texts and their grammar, their syntax, the basic words, even the basic content. But we need this book to be made known to us as Holy Scripture. Um, and what makes Scripture known to us is in that this text promotes Christ. The, the phrase that Luther liked to use was vas Christum tribet. What promotes Christ or what drives Christ home? And Scripture is the thing that does that. Scripture is the thing that presents and promotes Christ to you. But it only does that um, in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. So where does Luther say vas Christum tribet? Where, where, what are some of his works where he's asking that question? He does it here, I'm pretty sure. He also does it um, in, the, in the preface to his translation to, uh, to the New Testament. I think he discusses it there. Um, Just the later Luther. Yeah. This is here. Okay. Yeah. Sure that, okay. And, I mean, this is kind of a side note, too. This is why Lutherans rarely get involved in co controversies about inerrancy and things like that um, because we don't sort of have this formalistic principle about the inerrancy of Scripture because what makes Scripture Scripture is just that it gives you Christ. Um, it's, it's kind of, of proto-Bardian in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, got, it's got shades of that. Yeah. Um, for, for Bart, 
I did a little bit of work on Bart in my masters, and for Bart there is almost a sense though of like scripture becoming scripture. Right. Whereas we're saying it's the word of God, but it's sort of like your relationship to God and um, the way Luther describes it in the small catechism in the Lord's Prayer. Um, let your name be hallowed. Well, of course, his name is holy, but we pray also that it would be holy to us. And that's kind of the way scripture is. Holy scripture is God's word no matter what, but we pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit, it would become scripture to us. Makes sense. Yeah. And whereas crassly, Bart might just say, it only becomes it when it becomes it to us, and isn't so before. Bart is hard to sort of pin down on this, but he's at least been taken that way. Okay. Um, yeah, I hate to claim too much for, for Carl, but it, it, it's, there's definitely a movement or at least a direction that way. So Lutherans uh, wouldn't subscribe to verbal and plenary inspiration. That's not like in any of the Book of Concord, those words or ideas? No. Okay. Um, and I mean, so in the Missouri Synod, you'll get more uh, worry about inerrancy. And in the Missouri Synod, it's more wary about inerrancy. Yeah. Um, but for the, the whole, I mean, for the large history of Lutheranism, especially in America, I think people have just kind of thought that that was missing the question a little bit. Um, they just weren't interested in that debate. Gotcha. And why is it missing the question? Uh, well, it, it's just, it's because um, we're worried about setting some sort of principle over and against Scripture by which it is judged rather than by saying what is Scripture is that Scripture does itself to us. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. The Bible says it says how to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, 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 we've received these texts um, throughout history. We've always claimed these texts to be Scripture. Um, and why they are Scripture for us is because they give and point us to Jesus. And that's, that's the criterion for Scripture. I might be moving us ahead, and you can just shut me down. But it does it feels like Luther, though, in Bondage of the Will, has a super, super high view of the per perspicuity of Scripture, though. Mm. He's always like uh, just dogging Erasmus, but saying, "Just read the words, man. Stop doing something to him. This is what the words say." Yeah. I mean, he does that the entire last 150 pages of the book over and over and over again. So, and I'll, it's like, okay, I understand Luther has a low view of man and ability of man to have the spirit illuminated to him to make it truly scripture to him, and yet he, uh, he pivots to one of the will a lot to the plain reading of scripture. Yeah. So tell me how to reconcile that, Luther. Well, that's where you, I think you have to have that interplay between external clarity and internal clarity. And the, the external word is the thing that's preached to you. It's the thing that's given to you in the sacraments. It's the thing that comes to you, and it is clear in itself. Um, but you can't receive that word without that internal clarity as well, which is produced by the Holy Spirit. And yet, what does the Holy Spirit come to you through except for the external word? Um, so that there's always that relationship between the two because what internal clarity is doing for you is opening up that external word into its, its fullness, as it were. Um, so he, he does think that in, in a basic way, 
You know, kids can be running around a playground singing about the gospel. Like, that, that's clear. Um, but our reason will always find ways to take that and distort it and mess it up and to miss things. So you, you, it is, it is not like necessarily a dialectic between right. this is clear, anybody can figure this out, and this is not. We need the Holy Spirit. But these two things, I think, exist as two parts of a whole for Luther. So to take it a different way, then it almost is like he's telling Erasmus, you're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit because you can't read it clearly. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I mean, doesn't he somewhere in bondage say that Erasmus is... It's still like Moses has the veil. Yes, yeah. right. So that's... Basically what he said to Zwingli too, right? Yeah, mm. I, I imagine so. This is fascinating. Thank you. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so when we think about oratio, it's to say that you know, we don't approach Scripture necessarily from an angle of contemplation or just sort of some sort of action, but that we're always waiting. We're always humbling ourselves and waiting to receive God's work on us through the Holy Spirit. Um, and we are holding to that clear external word, but in the, in, in, insofar as we are doing that, we are also humbling ourselves before God, um, praying that he would guide us by the Spirit. Okay. Um, the next one is meditatio. Um, this is another one of those things where Luther takes a concept which was fairly well known to monastics and he, he just tweaks it quite a bit. Um, the basic sense is that you will never exhaust the work you need to do in studying scripture. Um, you have to read it over and over again. You meditate on it with your heart and your mind. Um, you meditate on it through speaking it, through hearing it. Um, you can never exhaust the ways that you need to meditate on Holy Scripture. Um, and that, that is, he thought he saw that in David's constant claims about, oh Lord, how I always want your word before me. Um, I meditate on your law day and night. Like there's all, just all of these claims about how um, there has to be a constancy that, that has to be a facet of our relationship to the Word. Um, but the thing that, that Luther was trying to, to get away from, and I'm going to use some, the more modern language, is that meditation wasn't a kind of mystical experience or pathway to enlightenment. Um, scholar Timothy Wingert says that it was a kind of amazement with the specific words in a scriptural passage. Far from providing a spiritual springboard to higher thoughts, the biblical text drives one to consider the holy, why the Holy Spirit said this specific thing. So you're constantly meditating on the words, saying, why is this here? How can I come to a greater understanding it? Um, in other words, you're reading it, and you're always in this posture of prayer. Um, but meditation isn't a process of going into yourself, uh, of thinking about you know, whatever you might think when you think about meditation itself. But meditation is always this process of going outward into Scripture. Um, in other words, to use a you know, distinction Lutheran would say, when we meditate, 
we're not being enthusiasts who think we can look into ourselves to understand something, um, but we're always simply trying to hold fast to that external word through which God works on us. I have a comment. Yeah. I was in Dr. Lineball's class last June. He was speaking about these items. I've got his notes right here in front of me. And he made this comment, and I just want you to kind of comment on his comment. Okay. Because I'm, sure, I'm not sure I understood it. Okay, I, I might not either. But let's uh, you may it. not, but it may not be anything big, but I, I, it's come up before, and I, and I wanted to get your re reflection. He's saying under metateo, that it's the study, meditation, language, memorize, read aloud, and then he said this. Mm -hmm. He said, Luther trusted his ears more than his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that means. And I've never seen that anyplace else other than Dr. Linebaugh's comments about that. Yeah. He trusted his ears more than his eyes. Like he's understanding what he's hearing more than what he sees. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's getting at us. Yeah, what? I said it sounds like he understands it. He just unpacked. But sorry. Yeah, I think you're 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 on the way to getting to that. I'm on the way. Or yeah, yeah, you are. You are. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, Luther said that Christians are 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 people who hear. Um, we are the ones who are always being addressed by God, and that that goes back to you know when he would read Paul. Um, and Paul in Romans 10 or Galatians 3, it's how, do, how will someone believe if they do not hear this message proclaimed to you? Um, how did you receive the Holy Spirit except through the proclamation of the gospel? Um, so it's not that you're denigrating the work of your eyes, but it's just saying we are people who are communicated to. Like we are hearing this message given to us. And that's not to say when we're reading, we're not hearing. But we're always in this posture of waiting to receive. I don't, I don't know if that... No, no, I, I'm okay with that. I, I, that's kind of what I thought he meant, but I just wanted to get your comments. Okay. Um, to turn to Luther again, because he often says these things more clearly than we can do. He says, Second, you should meditate, not only in your heart, but also outwardly repeating and comparing the actual literal words in the book, reading and rereading them with careful attention and thought as to what the Holy Spirit means by them, and guard against being satiated or thinking that when you have read, heard, or said it once or twice, you understand it fully. For this will never make an excellent theologian. He basically says if you think you've got it after two times, you're going to... You don't. You're gonna, yeah, you're going to be like unripe fruit falling off the tree. You're just going to go bad. Um, says, this is why in the psalm you see David constantly exulting that he would do nothing else, day and night and always, but seek, speak, write, utter, sing, hear, and read God's word and commandments. For God will not give you his spirit apart from the external word. And that, that last line is sort of the crucial thing for Luther and for I mean, the whole confessional movement, I'll turn to uh, the fifth article of the Augsburg Confession. 
Um, he's, and the, the fourth article is about justification and how God forgives you of your sins by faith. And then this, the fifth article says, to obtain such faith, God instituted the office of preaching, giving the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, as through means, He gives the Holy Spirit who produces faith where and when He wills in those who hear the gospel. It teaches that we have a gracious God, not through our merit, but through Christ's merit when we so believe. Um, and here he, they go on to condemn these people. It says, Condemned are the Anabaptists and others who teach that we obtain the Holy Spirit without the external word of the gospel through our own preparation, thoughts, and works. Um, that was Augsburg, yeah. 1530? Yeah. I'm not sure I understand that last comment, that last sentence you just read. How, why is it the Anabaptists are off? It's this idea that... Um, you can receive the Holy Spirit um, as just this direct revelation from God, as a sort of lightning bolt, disconnected from Holy Scripture, I got you. from proclamation. Yeah. Today. So I'm starting with how we define the word then, because, I mean, if in my theological categories, if you said the Spirit does not come apart from official revelation, I'm all there, but, I mean, I know people have become Christians without any preaching or external content of the gospel that got him in a dream or something. So what does Luther really mean by word, apart from the external word? Yeah, I mean, the external word can come to you in different ways, whether it's proclamation itself or the reading of scripture, or just, you know, God can use his word to you through conversation with someone else. Um, we would We would be... I think we would be a little jumpy about dreams. Uh, yeah. Okay. That would, uh, you know, God can do what God wants to do. Uh, but I. So I don't know if it's a Lutheran thing, to, you know, say ordinary yeah. means of grace, extraordinary means of grace. Mm. I would not contend with that at all, as far as vast majority ordinary means of grace. Yeah. But I do think uh, I think yeah, I do I believe in extraordinary means of the external word coming to us. Maybe mm. I don't know how I'd say it. Yeah. I don't really talk about that too much other than just the general rule of don't expect the Spirit apart from these ways that God has promised to give you the Spirit. I think that's right. You know, yeah. there's a scripture in Psalms where it says, David says, and he speaks to me even while I sleep. It's basically, that's paraphrased, but he's speaking in his sleep. The Word of God is speaking to him in his dreams. Not in his dreams, in his sleep. His subconscious is reflecting on what the Word is saying, and it becomes more clear. Mm. And and that's called Dr. Hendricks, who I had. He called that incubation, mm. the incubation of the Word of God in somebody's heart, where it becomes more clear. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I'll call it incubatio. Incubatio. Step. Yeah. <laughs> um, that won't be on the final exam. <laughs> yeah, right now. Didn't Luther actually have a really interesting translation of that particular verse from Psalm 127? He grants sleep to those he loves, or however English translations, but I, I don't remember what Luther's translation But there's. Yeah, it's nothing that's coming to me. If you find it, if you find it, let me know. What is what is the scripture? Tell me. Well, 127, two. Psalm 127. You guys are thinking about two different scriptures. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I'll find it. One of y'all need to pray for the Holy Spirit because one of y'all are on step. He translated it as while they sleep, he provides for them. Hmm. Passive faith. Yeah, and that's 127 what? Two. 127 two. Um, I guess I'm in the mood for quoting people right now. That's it, yeah. He says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Interesting. Um, this, is, this is Oswald Bayer talking about meditatio. I think he gets something pretty clear and vital here. He says, those who want to search for the Holy Spirit deep inside themselves, which is kind of what enthusiasts do, in a realm far too deep for words to express, will find ghosts, not God. They will only be amusing themselves with baseless thoughts. As Luther said, we all know from experience that our mind and thoughts are so uncertain, slippery, and unstable that if we want to ask a serious question or think about God without words and scripture, we will be a hundred miles away from our first thoughts before we even know it. Yes. Amen. Yeah. So, in other words, never trust your mind to get these things right. Never think that looking inside of yourself is um, the way to study Scripture or the way to speak about God or to God. Um, Because the thing that you always have to do is go outside of yourself to that external word. And it was important for Luther because there's this sort of um, it's a pastoral use of scripture where you cultivate essentially the affections to, to exist in relationship to God in a, in a new way where um, all things are sort of bound to that external word. You speak the words of scripture to God because you saturate yourself in them to such a way that they reshape your patterns of thought and speech and music and all, all these other things. Or is there, um, sorry, are you okay? Are you, are you hoping to lecture or are you feeling like too interrupted right now? Because I. No, go ahead, do whatever you want. All right, no. Uh, it, since we're kind of in a Luther bio day a little bit, yeah. it was, is there a marked contrast at any point in Luther's life between he was an Augustinian monk, okay, there was a time where he stopped being a monk because he got married, right? Mm-hmm. But where his practices of spiritual disciplines, there's a sharp discontinuity, and he started just doing certain other things. It's just about the preached words, just about the sacrament. Or is he, I mean, I always get the impression that he maintained his rigorous devotional practices even after this theological shift. I, I, think, that's, I think that's true. You, I think he would drop off the things that were you know, unhelpful, sort of, any, anything that would make you turn in on yourself to, right. to discern how you're doing, that's something that can go. Um, right. He did talk about fasting in one of the books where he says, most fasting is self-serving. And it's, yeah. But, it's a, but it's not, fasting is not necessarily wrong. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to get a framework for like, what he would commend or in himself or others. Or, it's, it, there are, scripture, especially reading scripture. Yeah, you know, there, there are criteria for for figuring these things out. And you know, the first thing which we might see here is, does this practice that I'm doing send me to the external word of God where I hear the gospel spoken to me? If it, if it doesn't... Well, sorry, what's that? Christian, does yeah. it drive Christ home? Does this, this thing drive Christ home? Otherwise, 
it's not helpful for me. Gotcha. Um, sorry, what was I've heard someone else describe them more gen or more colloquially as um, those spiritual practices which are rendezvous points of the gospel. Mm. Rendezvous points for so by all means pray, by all means read your Bible, by all means insofar as they lead you to rendezvous with Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. Yeah. Exactly. And we always have to be discerning those rendezvous points to say, why am I doing this? Um, have I turned this good practice into something that I'm doing to, to gain God's favor? Or because I think that somehow God's love is dependent on it? That's where you at least need to pause it and, and you know, remind yourself of the truth of the gospel and then go back to it. But any practice done in that sort of mode of thought you'd have to jettison it. Mm. So. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.